For almost 2,000 years, the Catholic Church has pointed the way toward salvation through Jesus Christ. For each of us, that journey starts in darkness, as if in a cave. We invite you now to come with us as we seek wisdom and truth by way of faith and reason with your guides, Mark Tuttle and Timothy O'Donnell. Join us in the Catholic Cave. Welcome once again to the Catholic Cave. I'm Kent Blanford in the cave with me, our favorite troglodytes, Mr. Timothy O'Donnell, Mr. Mark Tuttle. Gentlemen, a question came up at my house the other day. It went something like this. Do you feel uncomfortable asking Siri for something when Alexa's in the room? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, the bigger question is, does Alexa feel uncomfortable when you ask Siri a question when when Alexa's in the room? Because, you know, I mean, I, I <laughs> do they get jealous of each other? Right. Yeah. I mean, so much of what our homes and what our lives have become are built around technology. How much are we becoming a an absolute technology dependent society how much is that going to steer the future of humanity yeah i mean technology has been in the news um very much so you had the uh, congressional hearings with uh, jack dorsey the founder of twitter where he was uh you know the questions there revolved over you know censorship and control of control of uh communications and content and all of that so and, you know, it, it, it is a technological problem when you get down to it. It used to be that you had freedom of the press. Freedom of the press is one of the, you know, elements of our Bill of Rights. So, you know, it's a, a foundational principle of the United States. But the technology has created a situation where it's really no longer the press that's controlling the content. The content is now kind of, I don't know, curated, I think is the word that they use, by the big tech Facebook, Twitter, um, you know, the, the, the big tech online thing. So you've got that aspect of, of technology. Biotech is, is moving at a pace where I think it is in some ways outpacing the thought of the ethicists. So, you oh, know, yeah, you know, I would agree with that. So we, we recently had some uh, experiments on embryos go awry as they were trying to use CRISPR technology to improve the human genome. Now, so, Mark, what's CRISPR technology? Uh, CRISPR is a, a technology where they are able to edit particular genes. So they're able to go in and, and splice off a, a piece of gene and replace it, affecting the whole genome. So it's got a lot of promise to be able to um, deal with a lot of, of genetic diseases, genetic anomalies, etc. Of course, it's also got the possibility of being able to alter the human being. You know, I mean, honestly, a, a misuse of it could be to enhance somebody's um, the physical attributes, your, 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 your mental and intellectual attributes, you really could go about trying to create a superhuman. The more immediate technological problem right now, though, is as they're trying to figure this out, they're experimenting on human beings. They're using embryos to develop this technology. And that, of course, is, is immoral and wrong. Yeah. And so I looked up, uh, I'll share the definition of CRISPR, or at least what it stands for. Um, so CRISPR, C-R-I-S-P-R, it, uh, that stands for Clustered, Regularly, Interspaced, Short, Palindromic, Repeats. Right. 
So in case you were wondering, so there's word of the day. Let's call it that word of the day, CRISPR. And uh, yeah, like you said, Mark, it's, I, I guess, I guess what strikes me about developments in this particular field is that uh, DNA, I mean, that is, that is the rock. Seems like that's the rock. I guess you, unless you do something at the molecular level, um, that is the rock bottom building block of the, uh, the the organism, the biological organism we call human being. <laughs> right. And even the molecular level is, you know, dictated and controlled by the DNA. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, the, the DNA is kind of what's telling your body to create particular molecules and to, to create particular Cells proteins and, and things. So, yeah, yeah, I yeah. mean, so, I mean, you, you, you really are talking about the fundamental level of what makes you, you. Um, at a, at a physical level, right. Um, right. When, when you're talking about DNA and so, you know, messing with it, you can, you know, you, you could do a lot of good with it. Like I said, there, there, there's genetic disorders and genetic diseases and things that we may be able to come up with therapies and, and, you know, ways to, to address them. But on the flip side, you know, there's a huge potential for misuse and abuse with this. And, um, you know, I'm not sure that the, uh, the bright red lines that are there in other areas saying, okay, you can do this and you can't do that. I'm not sure those are really written in stone within the, within the medical community, quite honestly. Well, we, we've had a lot of shows on um, our shows over the years on ethics. Bioethics just means that we're going to apply ethics into the, the sphere of bio uh, technology, uh, let's say. Well, there's no consensus, you know, on, on good versus evil. And so as that's one of the uh, most precarious and uh, and at times I would say alarming things or should, should signal alarms is as um, technology advances, um, it could be used for all sorts of things that reasonable people may disagree or, or even unreasonable people. I, I'll go back to the first. Uh, I love Jurassic Park, especially the first movie. And um, one of the char- one of the main characters, kind of, kind of, when they when it's unveiled that they've um, been able to retrieve from you know prehistoric times dinosaur DNA, and now they can actually make real. They say he he sounds the alarm. He goes, oh, he's so uh, it's Jeff Goldblum's character, and he goes, you, you know, you're so busy figuring Dr. out Doctor Malcolm. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I forgot his name. You know, but he he, may, he he raises the most important, one of the most important fundamental ethical issue um, um, questions, which is that you know he says you were so busy figuring out how to do it, you didn't bother to ask should you do it. Right, right, and you know it, it's not even a you didn't bother to. I think we've gotten to a point in ethics where the ability to ask should you do it isn't there you know the the, mm-hmm. the apparatus to think through these questions the 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 um the language it no longer fits with it no longer fits with technology and i mean arguably you know we, we've talked about alistair mcintyre and and his theories and in, in after virtue for a while um you know arguably it's it's really difficult for us to talk about what you should do and what you shouldn't do just in general but then you start to get into a realm of hypothetical possibilities of what we might be able to do with a particular technology and it becomes nigh impossible to make ethical decisions right there's a there's a very strong reluctance when it comes to ethics and may, and, and like you said getting into the realm of the oughts and the shoulds and shouldn'ts um, ought not those sorts of things as it pertains to you know say choices behaviors actions um, there there's there's reluctance to apply that to oneself. But but there's very little 
appetite anymore to apply it to other people. It, it's it's this radical self autonomy that we've talked about. That is every um, yeah. I I might not choose what you choose, Mark. I might think that's wrong, but I, there's no way I can tell you that you're wrong. And so that that then just simply why wouldn't that extend to something like an entire sphere of say scientific pursuit called biology or biotechnology right and and especially because as you as you jettison um as you jettison other reasons for why something is right or wrong more and more you're relying on uh, emotional responses to what's right and wrong you know Mm -hmm. i i don't do something because it's icky or it's or it's bad and i mean like bad isn't i can it makes me feel bad right um and so when you base your moral framework on that and then you apply it to an area of technology which let's face it it's pretty cool that you can go in and edit the genome of, a, of an organism that you could go it's into powerful. a mouse. it's powerful but it is cool too when you think about it maybe i'm maybe i'm a little bit more of a nerd but yeah. but i think that's pretty awesome that you can go know. in and and manipulate the genes and come up with a I'm, different result that I'm is far more wary about doing stuff like that <laughs> <laughs> but but you know it, it's kind of ex- exciting you're pushing the envelope so Eliciting those those natural icky responses, you know the that you know the the classical question with I, I think to to show that um, morality and ethics has become more and more based on on sort of emotional responses is the the question of, of Fido. If if you're eating dinner with your family and oh, the yeah. family dog goes out and he runs out and he runs out into the street and he gets hit by a car. Would it be ethically wrong for your family to go out and carve him up and serve him for dinner? <laughs> and most people are going to do exactly Ken, that. Ken, Ken, I, by his expression, I'm going to say Ken says no. Right, exactly. <laughs> most people say no because yeah. it because at a very visceral level, we realize, oh my gosh, that, that that's horrible. That makes me feel bad. Right. But when you start to ask somebody why, why would it be wrong to eat Fido for dinner? It becomes very difficult. People have a difficult time coming up with the reasons that make them feel viscerally icky about the idea of eating Fido. So, you know, it, it kind of shows a little bit of the order that we kind of understand at a, at a at a gut level what's right and wrong, and then we apply reason to it afterwards. That's kind of how our moral thinking goes. But when you're looking at something like technology, and it's cool, and technology's neat, and you always want to push the envelope, you, you've you lost that natural sort of visceral feeling of what's right and wrong. It, it no longer applies. You, you really can't get a emotional reaction to the idea of editing the genome. I mean, Partly because on on the one hand you got people that think it's cool, on the other hand you got a lot of people that think that is really really boring. Um. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I don't think it's boring. Um, I don't think it's cool either. I, I think it's potentially dangerous because of. Well, there um, you go applying reason to the problem, though, Tim. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think it's potentially dangerous because, um, well, in part, I'll I'll start with. I don't know enough about like all the possible outcomes you might be able to produce through that technology. Like, so I, I generally, it's uh, I think we're all, we would be in agreement that if there's a advancement in technology that generally reduces harm, such as um, say correcting or preventing um, disease. Um, sickness, illness, um, or defects that occur at that at the DNA level. I think we're in favor of that. Generally, um, there, there's probably more to more questions to be asked, but generally, I think we're going to be in favor of that. But 
Um, but that hardly seems, since the whole blueprint for the whole person is laid out before you, I, I wonder, I mean, it just seems like uh, there, there could be innumerable uh, combinations of choices one might make in manipulating DNA for all kinds of unimaginable, uh, undesirable, or even morally repulsive outcomes. Yeah, it's a similar question that we have with uh, nuclear technology. Um, you know, you 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 have you you have the ability to create very efficient, clean energy, but then on the flip side, you with the ha- exception of Chernobyl. Right. Well, right. Yeah. There, but of course, some... they, they broke all the rules and, to make and, that happen. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and so you've got yeah, you've got ethical questions around the 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 the, the side effects and dangers and things like that. Mm-hmm. But you also have the fundamental question of the further we pursue this, the the more dangerous that technology come becomes if it gets in the wrong hands, right? You know, if if everybody knew how to create nuclear fission easily and we became more and more efficient in nuclear fission, boy, the world would be a really dangerous place. And and so you know you've got that that flip side and uh, you know I think CRISPR technology is the same way you know you you've got a potential to do a lot of really good things with it but you've got a potential to do a lot of really bad things with it too and we need to take a break here on the Catholic Cave we'll be back with more looking at uh, bioethics CRISPR technology and all kinds of other things right after this break. You're listening to Catholic Radio Indy, converting the culture to Christ through radio, featuring 100% Catholic programming 24-7. Do your friends a favor. Tell them about Catholic Radio Indy. Alexa, what's the weather forecast for today? Alexa, what time is the Colts game today? Alexa, remind me to pick up the dry cleaning tomorrow. Has Alexa become a part of your daily routine? Then make sure that routine includes Alexa... Play Catholic Radio Indy. Catholic Radio Indy. Quick, easy access to Catholic programming 24-7. Just say, Alexa, play Catholic Radio Indy. Catholic Radio Indy. Welcome back to the Catholic Cave. I'm Timothy O'Donnell, still in the cave with Mark Tuttle, Kent Blanford. And we've been looking at technology and then maybe a subcategory, uh, biotechnology, advances in uh, biotechnology and maybe some of the ethical implications that, that uh, go along with it. So, Mark, on this segment, I want to bring up another T word, not technology, but teleology. Teleology coming from the Latin root telos, where we get the, um, we can think of like a telescope, right? We think of, um, when we think of teleology, we're thinking about the end or purpose for which a thing uh, of it, uh, a thing fulfilling its purpose or nature. Well, yeah, but you need to go wash your mouth out with soap now because you you said the bad T word. Oh because, yeah, no yeah, one likes to. No bring one it likes up to. And, no one likes the right. T word. Yeah, the T the, the the T word teleology. That's a bad word in mm-hmm. in philosophical circles these days. And you know the idea is that the teleology was was thrown out with the Enlightenment. So you you right. you had. You had the thinkers that came along and said, we're going to look at things empirically. We're going to look at things scientifically. And so the idea that things have purposes, that doesn't fit within, the, uh, within something that you can experiment with. It's not something that you can observe in a laboratory. You can't, you can't look at a candle and analyze what a candle is. It's, it's wax. It's got a wick. Um, you know, well, well chemistry that, isn't going to tell us right, kilos. Right, but, but in a laboratory setting, you can't tell us what that 
candle is for, what the purpose of that candle mm-hmm. is for. It's up in the air. Well, I mean, you could, I actually, I, I was teaching a fifth grade catechism class and um, we, we had a, a, a candle and I used it. There was one, one kid in there that was pretty severely, he, he had, you know, ADHD type of problems. And so I used the, I used the candle as his fidget tool. So he oh, would, he okay. would, he would, poke it with a paper clip and he'd yeah. peel off little pieces of wax here. Right, and, you know, right. by the end of, by the end of the time we were done with our, our 15 minute prayer circle, he, he was like surrounded by a pile of wax. Right. right. <laughs> and so, but that's not the proper purpose of a candle, right? Even, but, but mm-hmm. you know, if you, if you're a scientist and you're looking at a candle in a lab, there's nothing that tells you about that candle, whether it's supposed to be used to create a little flame on top and create light and heat, or whether it's supposed to be used as a, a fidget tool to, to, to um, you know, help somebody, you know, concentrate. So there, there, there's nothing scientifically about that candle that tells you what it's for. The idea of a purpose, that's really a philosophical distinction, and mm-hmm. that's a value distinction, and that really has no place anymore in science. That was the idea of the Enlightenment, that, that anything that was that was not observable and empirical um it, it really didn't have a place within science so we threw we threw the idea of or at least out. it's not true knowledge I right mean, there's certainly that yeah it's an opinion you know, right, you, know right, you, right. You, you might just think of candles for 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 you know lighting the wick and and having something that gives off light but really it's it's up to you whatever you want to use that candle for you be you i'll be me and, well you could and, use it as a doorstop you know, right exactly up, that yep. kind of stuff so yeah so the idea of teleology as far as a way to explore what things are went out the window and so now we're left with it with with a world where the idea of something being defined by its purpose um is, is really no longer a way that we look at the world yeah, not not very often. Which which is actually I would I would say is a big mistake. So I was thinking about um, Aristotle's four causes. So it seems like in the current setting, what technology has done, the incredible inva- advancements, and maybe some of those advancements being dangerous, some of them beneficial, is the idea of the the, the last or final cause of things is really up for grabs. And maybe the reason why it's really up for grabs or we don't know what it is, the final cause, which would really be the purpose uh, of, the, of the, uh, the, the object or the being, is because technology creates a hyper-emphasis and experience of change. In other words, things change so fast, so quickly, um, that... We it I think it kind of subverts or champ or really challenges that uh, beings have stable natures, and if you don't have a stable nature, then it's really hard to determine what the final cause is or its telos or its purpose because it's in constant because it's potentially in constant flux. Right. Yeah. And and you know Aristotle talked about that um, you know stable nature of something as its formal cause, you know. So so Now the, he's 2300 years ago, so things maybe look a little different than they right, do now. Right. Right. But you know when he was talking about the formal cause of something, what he was talking is is the, is the the parameters, um the shape, the boundaries of, of mm-hmm. what makes a, a thing the a thing. The individuation. Right. right. And and you know the I think the 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 probably question um, that gets at this the most is in the realm of aesthetics, in the realm mm. of art and beauty, 
right? Because you, we had a movement at the, the turn of the, the 20th century, so the early 1900s. Um, we had a movement to really push the boundaries of what is art. So there, there was a, you know, uh, Marcel Duchamp. He uh, went and, and put a urinal in an art museum and claimed, you know, this is art. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, so you had this whole... This whole the Yoko Ono apple thing. You yeah, could, you exactly. That up. Here's exactly. a stand, and I'm going to take an apple right. and just place it there. Right, but the whole... But the whole <laughs> the, the, the whole, and, and they were explicit about this, the whole idea behind that was to push the boundaries of what art is. So what something is, is defined by its boundaries. And the more we mm-hmm. push those boundaries, the more we can expand what it is, change what it is, it becomes elastic. So something's defined by its boundaries. And you're quite right, technology naturally is going to challenge those boundaries. Technology is naturally going to push against those boundaries and try to shape something into something that it wasn't previously. So because of that, there's not a way to really determine the formal cause of something. So now we've, we've reduced ourselves to two of Aristotle's formal causes or four causes for figuring out what something is. Um, and that is the material cause, what it's made of. Is it made of? That's wo- the stuff. That's and, the chem- stuff. and chemistry helps us with that right. one a chemistry, lot. Chemistry, and we, we, we've gone way down. I mean, we, you know, mm. we, we are very, very adept at, at determining the, the material cause of things. Um, but then the other part is the efficient cause. How do we make it? How do, how do we start? Mm-hmm. Where did it come from? What, what, what's its origin? Um, what, what was the first action that created this thing? And, and we're very good at that, too. Um, technology has given us a good, keen view. So those two are connected, mm-hmm. just as the formal and final cause are connected. And we've jettisoned those two. And technology has allowed us to kind of short-circuit the idea of both of those. And we're left with, well, we've got stuff. And what can we do with it? And, and the, mm-hmm. the, the, the world is wide open. There are no boundaries. Yeah, I think one of the areas and uh, where, where you see that really um, quite profoundly, and it, it, it comes up in a marvelous way on this uh, EWTN documentary that I, I got to watch recently, a friend who recorded it, and it's called Wolves in Sheep's Clothing on EWTN. Now, there's a part one which really kind of focuses on Saul Alinsky, um, Rules for Radicals, and his acolytes and the impact of that. But the one I, that I'm, I'm referring to, though, for the sake of uh, this conversation, is Wolves in Sheep Clothing Part 2, the sequel. And in this case, there, um, this EWTN series is um, documenting uh, and presenting the, I would say, ideological and philosophical um, underpinnings and r- roots and even current uh, of thought as it pertains to gender ideology. So one of the reasons, the reason why I, I'll br- I'm bringing this up is you have, for example, Jean-Paul Sartre um, and his existentialism and his, it, it, his uh, one of his primary, um, let's call it insights or as he, as he understood it, is that you don't really have a nature. Your nature is something that you discover, you exist first, and then you have to determine your own nature. Um, And this is where things like gender fluidity and and this, 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 uh, the current setting that we're in where people who are clearly biologically male or female may can, uh, feel justified in making claims 
that uh, no, they're they're not male. I'm actually I might be biological. I'm actually female. It, this all goes back to this abandonment of form or nature and final cause. The, those are, that gender ideology is a is a very dangerous manifestation of that, and you can. Again, catch it on uh, that that program is it's phenomenal, right? Because let's face it, if you can take I don't know iron, you know a, a, a rock that you pull out of a mountain, and you can take that piece of iron and you can manipulate it technologically and turn that lump of iron into just about anything that we've got in our house. I mean, you, you think about how many how how much of our our household stuff started off at least in part as iron it's amazing i mean they're they're you know or at least metal right metal <laughs> but i mean right. almost all metal has iron in it to, to some extent so you know metallurgy is not my strong suit no, so i'm going to take yeah. your word on that one <laughs> <laughs> but you know if, if you can if you can take you know physical material and put it into just about any shape any thing and put it to just about any purposes why why couldn't you do that with a human being, right? right? Or an animal. So, I mean, it's sort of a natural extension of, well, we, we've technologically pushed to where there really is no formal boundary of what something is that it can't be made into something else. And now we've applied GMOs, that. right? I mean, that's the, that's sort of that whole category, right? That's, right? that's that applied to, to biology, right? And we've, we've, we've mm-hmm. made, we've made several steps biologically and, and being able to do that same thing. But then you, you talk about human nature. Why wouldn't we be able to do that same sort of thing with it comes when it comes to what we've always assumed was fixed human nature and, and things, as you said, mm-hmm. like, like gender or, or what. And, and yeah, you know, Jean-Paul, Jean-Paul Sartre was one of many who pushed that envelope. They pushed the boundaries of, well, what can we define a human being as? And, you know, quite honestly, it's sort of up to you to explore that and push the boundaries and to decide for yourself who and what you are. Um, and, uh, right, you know, right. and, and not only that, but those boundaries have been set by nothing more than history. So if we can go back and change the history, which since history is just a set of ideas, we can change those ideas. Then we can change the boundaries of what you are today. Yeah. So for Catholics, we have the (laughs) the incredible grace and benefit of understanding that uh, God made us with a purpose, right? And so the purpose, one of our, this one we talk about, uh, I think it was recording, this is the month of vocations too. And that ties into vocate that we, that God, uh, we believe that God has a purpose for our lives. That's something. There's something here on this earth that only we can accomplish for His for His glory. Um, and uh, one of the most important things one can do with one's life is to discover what that purpose is, discern what it is, and then uh, order and organize one's life in accord with that knowledge yeah and not only our life but the universe itself and uh you know the the holy father put out the the encyclical laudatio si and i think that's a lot of what he was getting at in that encyclical and we need to take a break we'll be back with more of the catholic cave on catholic radio indy right after this ever since we've been on the air at catholic radio we've always wanted to have billboards but they just don't fit in our budget And since you'll probably never see a real billboard for us, I'm going to ask you to do something, to imagine one. In your mind, picture a large, empty billboard. Yeah, that's it. Now pick a background color, any color at all. Okay, then across the top of your billboard, put just two words, Catholic Radio. Make them really big. Then below that in even bigger letters, 
put 89.1 and 90.9 FM. Wow, that's a great billboard. Now, if this billboard were real, all of your friends and neighbors could see it, and they'd know all about Catholic Radio. But since it's only an imaginary billboard, we're going to have to depend on you to tell your friends about Catholic Radio. Remember, Catholic Radio 89.1 and 90.9 FM. Oh, and by the way, nice choice on that background color. It really looks good. Welcome back to the Catholic Cave. I'm Mark Tuttle here with Timothy O'Donnell and Kent Blanford. And we've been talking today about technology. We've been talking about, we started talking about some of the challenges. And then we started to get into some of the, I think, more metaphysical reasons Uh for why figuring out ethics around technology is such a difficult thing and and particularly around bioethics and the reason why one of the things we we pinpointed tim last last uh, segment was we've jettisoned the idea of teleology we've jettisoned the idea that things have purposes and we've even jettisoned the idea that people are made with purposes but that's that's part of our catholic faith and as catholics that's part of the discussion that i think we can reintroduce not just within the 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 sphere of who we are as people but honestly what the boundaries of certain things are and ought to be and therefore what some of the the limitations of what technology can and, and should do yeah i i think too what becomes i have uh, problematic or or not problematic but a difficulty is when we talk about teleology that the purpose of things it's 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 final cause um, when we, and I got this advice from a professor at uh, Franciscan University, it, it, becomes, it becomes challenging with inanimate objects. So going back to your candle example, so if you think about, you know, a standard candle, um, it, uh, it, one, one could argue, and I, think, I, I, and I think compellingly, that, yeah, a candle is, is designed and made of certain materials in a certain way, that it's uh, it's intended to be lit, and then and burn, and 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 through that, you you cr- it creates light. It creates light, and then sometimes they're scented too, so it could could produce an aroma. Now you could, like you said, you could also though take that same candle, that same inanimate object, and use it in a lot of other ways. You could, as you said, use it as kind of like a fidget distractor for uh, a fidgety student. Um, you could use it if it was of sufficient size and weight as a doorstop. Um, you could use it as a kind of, uh, let's say, a, uh, a weapon to throw at a, an intruder at your house and hit, hit him in the head with it. I mean, there's a lot of things you can do with an inanimate object. Um, and so f- determining uh, final causes in inanimate objects can be, can be difficult because of that because you can— often use inanimate objects in a variety of different ways. And so our the professor, I think it was, in fact, I remember who it was, Professor White, he, he would have us, when we're talking about final causes, just so we can see it more clearly in our own minds, we would focus on living things. And so there it would be, you know, plants, animals, and human beings. Because there you can see that um, a uh, plant, say, I, I'm going to go back to the acorn in the, that turns in the oak tree. You can see in the acorn as it develops and grows over time, assuming it has sufficient, uh, you know, conditions to do that. So the, the hydration, the, the, the light, blah, 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 that, it, uh, that it's going to achieve 
its end, its purpose, which its purpose is to become the, the to fulfill its nature, become the best, most perfect, most excellent oak tree it can be. Um, so you can see it a lot clearer there than you can in, say, inan- inanimate objects. Right. And as long as you've got that purposefulness and, and you know, I think, uh, you know, I think technology within within uh, the biotech world has, has pushed those limits. So, you know, no longer can you take the acorn and say, well, it's pretty clear and pretty obvious to somebody that the purpose of an acorn is to produce an oak tree that, you know, then that oak tree's purpose then is to kind of produce more oak trees. No, the purpose of that acorn now is to eventually give us weather-resistant wood. And so we, we need wood that is going to be completely waterproof and weather resistant. And if we can change and manipulate this acorn mm-hmm. so that instead of wood oak trees, it can make plastic oak trees, hypothetically, <laughs> right. then we've enhanced, you know, now, now, we've, now we've repurposed basically. Right. And we've, we've put this to use as if it were an inanimate object. And so you wind up with that challenge of, of being able to say, you know, yeah, naturally an acorn... Um, an acorn will become an oak tree, but we now have the ability to use that acorn for human purposes and repurpose it for our own purposes as if it were an inanimate object. Welcome to the world of the Lorax. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Exactly. And, you know, I mean, you have cautionary tales like that because, Mm -hmm. yeah, when when we look at something like that, we are just sort of a little bit kind of put off. But once again, I think that's because we've conditioned ourselves to make moral judgments based on our feelings, um, based on, well, yeah, plastic oak trees really make me feel kind of icky. But when you start to try to apply reasons to it, what's wrong with a plastic oak tree? I mean, you know, we're not, we're not talking about replacing all the actual wooden oak trees. We're talking about creating new, a different type of oak tree that would make plastic for us. So what's wrong with that? Um, and, and so when you start to get away from our sort of emotivist ickiness quotient and we start to play, you know, well, no, let's apply reason to this. Our reasons for not doing something like that quickly dissolve. Yeah. I think one of the, one of the, one of the challenges, um, ha- uh, can be historically, you know, um, humanity has, uh, benefited a lot from things like animal husbandry, so engaging in selective breeding of animals to produce or um, a lot, I, I guess it's a kind of cooperation with, if you will, certain tendencies uh, in hereditary traits to get more animals that, animals that produce more of what you want, uh, cows that produce more milk or more beef, that, that kind of stuff, or or um, plants that maybe are more uh, produce more fruit or more resistant to diff- more difficult climates, um, insects, that, that sort of stuff. It, it's it, and that's one thing, right? That's one thing. And then, but then there's this is how we also got all these different breeds. I'm a big dog lover. That's how you get all these different breeds of dogs, right? Right. They yeah. didn't just come about on their own. They 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 were human beings had to had to intervene. I guess what where I, I get very squeamish from an ethical, moral standpoint is when you start getting getting back to where we began the, sh- the, the show with CRISPR technology, when you actually get down to the level of DNA and start fiddling with that, um, it seems like you go, we, we've made some sort of, and I don't know if I have this all worked out, but in my head, but you go from somehow sort of a kind of 
steering natural forces to um, manipulating them. Right. There's a Thomistic principle there, I think. You know, I, I think you go back to St. Thomas and he said, you know, technology really, I mean, obviously he wasn't talking about technology, but I think you can kind of extrapolate Not the way this. we would, yeah. But, you know, technology really ought to enhance the nature of something and not change it or destroy it. So when you're talking about an acorn, you know, the nature of an acorn is as part of an oak tree. And, you know, technology and help and, and things to enhance the natural purpose of that oak tree, to make a better oak tree, mm-hmm. um, that's all good. But when you do something to make it no longer an oak tree, um, you, you, you change it to the extent that it's not going to be a, a, something that's plastic. Um, you know, a, a <laughs> <laughs> I'm still of- struggling with your analogy, <laughs> the plastic and the wood being together. But, but here, here's maybe what one of the bigger, biggest problems are, are going to be from an ethical and more, and this might, might, might help explain why the technology, uh, seems to be not only out in front of say, uh, ethics, but, uh, maybe even pulling out a, a bigger lead is that. We've generally abandoned the notion of objective truth um, and uh, that, uh, that there's um, certitude around knowledge outside of oneself. And so it makes it then um, next to impossible to come together to determine when you said, you know, when you said like, well, we can make a bad, we can, it's okay if we use it to make it a better oak tree. Well, we can't agree on what better means. Right. Right. Because honestly, we can't even at this point really uh, agree on, on what an oak tree is. Right. Well, I that's mean, being abandoned too. Right. Right. <laughs> but, but, as know, it pertains to the human person. But, but I think, I think anybody involved when, in technology would push back against that and say, no, quite the opposite. You know, when you're talking about scientists, when you're talking about people that are dealing with technology, they're the most rational, level-headed, truth-seeking, truth-oriented people there are you know <laughs> which i totally disagree with you know they're going to you know they're they're not going to say there, there's no relativism in 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 what you micro you know what you see through a microscope i mean it it, it is or it isn't um you know it, it's very definitive when you get down to the empirical level of things where, where yeah, but science doesn't deal just with empirical stuff oh, but more and more it and does. not in a micro- yeah. no I, i'm going to disagree with you there i don't think so I don't think when you look at like um, if you're developing the next generation of smartphones, you're you're not really you're you're not completely engaged in um, empirical science at all. You're 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 dealing with um, ex- uh, the human experience. I think at a far, at a far but deeper how, level. But human experience that they've figured out as close a way to be able to measure, to be able to to monitor, to be able to watch through data, looking at different well, data da- points, da- yeah, data collection, sales exactly. And yeah. so they they've they've tried more and more to push that into the the realm of an empirical science and base it less and less off of just eh, my relativistic, you know, my, my feelings or, or, or thoughts mm-hmm. of what might be true about it. No, we're looking for data. We're looking for hard facts. We're looking for who and what kind of person, when, what month, what time do they buy this phone and why? And, and we're looking for, for data points that we can put together so that we can make not just a, a guess, but a, a definitive decision that no, the iPhone 11 will be better than the iPhone 10. Yeah, it's yeah. That's that's a, that's an interesting point. 
I'm I'm coming at it differently though. I'm saying I I'm agreeing with you in that there are quant there are certainly quantitative strong quantitative elements into the per, into the the production of technology as you mentioned. There's a lot of data. In fact, that's probably one of the biggest problems I would see is that there's a mathematization of things. But they're also very interested, though, in the qualitative side of things. They know that it's the end-user experience that causes behaviors and actions that are then measured. And then they're using the measurements, the data collection, to draw conclusions and make decisions. So I'm, I'm saying it's both. It's qualitative and quantitative, and that's why it's not relegated merely to the empirical. Right, and I, I think we, we, we've now kind of pushed this, that we've stumbled across the problem that um, was, was identified by, I'm going to say it, we're going to go into a break so Tim can't react. Oh, no, oh, no. It was discovered by Heidegger. Oh, no, one of the unholy three, <laughs> Heidegger, Hegel, Kant, unholy trinity of philosophy in my book. <laughs> okay, and with that, I'm going to save you from the argument by taking us to a break. We'll be back with more of the Catholic Cave on Catholic Radio Indy right after this. You're listening to Catholic Radio Indy, converting the culture to Christ through radio, featuring 100% Catholic programming 24-7. Do your friends a favor. Tell them about Catholic Radio Indy. Have you ever thought about joining the Catholic Church? Have you just wanted to explore the Catholic faith? All you need to do is call your local Catholic Church for more information. We are always happy to help you in your journey to discover and learn more about the Catholic faith. We have classes that are almost year-round, and the classes and information sessions do not involve making a commitment, and there is no pressure to join. Please call your local Catholic parish for more information today and start the journey of one day possibly becoming Catholic as well. God bless. Polar bears are uncomfortable in Arizona. Parrots avoid Alaska. And you shouldn't get too comfortable here. God's got a place for you that's so much better. Heaven. Some environments are just better than others. Catholic Radio Indy. You can hear the Holy Mass every day at 8 a.m. right here on Catholic Radio Indy. Welcome back to the Catholic Cave. I'm still Timothy O'Donnell with Mark Tuttle, Kent Blanford, and... I think we are pushing the boundaries, though, of identifying you as Tim. <laughs> I was going to say, you engaged right before the break in a kind of unholy spiritualism by, by calling right. forth the geist of Heidegger. But, but we're talking about technology, and, and to have a, a, a discussion, a proper discussion about technology and why it's so hard mm -hmm. to find ethical limits, you do have to bring in Heidegger's thought involved in it. Now, you know, Heidegger, of course, all right, all he right, would, right. Well, he would have been anathema <laughs> to the idea that there are fixed natural purposes to things. Um, so he, he would have jettisoned that part of our discussion, but I think he would have agreed with a lot of what we're saying. He was, uh, uh, I think, very uh, skeptical, to say the least, of, of the role of uh, the emerging role of technology and its impact on culture and society. Right, right. As a matter of fact, he wrote, he wrote a very famous essay um, called, you know, The, the Danger of Technology. Mm -hmm. um, and and the, the reason that he said was, and, and I think it, it goes back to what we were saying about the ability to change the form and, and change mm -hmm. what things are. 
when you when you're able to change what things are, suddenly you become responsible for what that thing is. Mm. And as you become responsible for what that thing is, then you become responsible for kind of maintaining what that thing is. And suddenly the the relationship between technology, which you know the whole idea of technology is it's supposed to enhance our lives, right? You know, you go back to the the 1940s and 1950s and you look at all the ads of um, as 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 sort of the the new technology that we all have in our homes where we're, we're coming online, um, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. the refrigerators and stoves and indoor plumbing and all, oh, yeah, all the yeah, stuff yeah. that makes modern life great. As that Labor a, and time-saving exactly. devices. They were, pro- they were promised mm-hmm. and they were, they were premised off the idea that they were going to help us save time. They were going to help us and enhance our life. They were going to make life better. And, and when you think of any technology, if it's not going to make our life better, what's, what's the point, right? I mean, you know, you, you, you really, that, that's the purpose of technology when you get down to it is to make our life better. But the problem is the more we manipulate things, the more we change what things are, the more they become dependent on us to keep them that way or to maintain them. And suddenly, instead of the purpose of technology is to serve and enhance our life, suddenly we flip-flop that relationship. And the purpose of human labor is to enhance and improve technology, to make the technology better. And so you, you've turned technology rather than kind of being the, the, the natural slave to humanity, you've turned technology into humanity's master. And um, that was really the danger mm. that he was, uh, you know, by playing with the identity of what things are, not only do you change that relationship, but then you also risk the, you risk the, the, the danger of kind of changing the identity of man. You know, suddenly man's purpose, you know, if, if you go back to the idea of what the purpose of, of somebody is, man's purpose is to, to love, to serve God, to, to love others, but if you start to throw technology in there and you start more and more of our time being maintaining and creating technology, suddenly man's purpose becomes materialistic. It becomes industrial. You know, mankind is no longer here to love and serve God and love and serve humanity. Now we're here to love and serve technology. And, um, you know, you, you've now kind of changed the identity of man. And that's sort of another danger um, that, that, that Heidegger was trying to point out. Yeah, the the other another element to that uh, seems to me is um, technology. So keeping with uh, keeping with the theme that te- uh, technology is 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 bettering our situation, um, and by bettering, I I suppose that would include the quality of our lives. And so a lot of things. So that would be like a reduction or uh, a reduction of effort to get things done. Um, a kind of an ease, increasing the ease of things, um, and, but also saving time, right? So, technology, I think, has introduced. There's a kind. There's a kind of um, almost compulsory element to technology, in that it uh, creates a competition between us. Why? Well, if you have a particular. Um, uh, if you want a particular time-saving device, um, that can give you an advantage over me. So if you have a washing machine and a dryer and I don't, well, to wash one's clothes by hand and then try to dry them is going to take a lot of time and a lot of labor to do that, uh, that you're now freed up from because you have a washer and a dryer. So you can use that time 
to what? Do pursue other things. Nuclear weapons. Nuclear weapons. But you can be more productive. You know, I think Amer- you know Americans are always the you know typically come out ahead as being the most productive, and and I also think we're we we'll probably have the the lar- one of the if not the largest one of the largest consumers of technology, because things like my smartphone, for example, make it very very um, fast and easy to take care of things that otherwise would have taken me a lot longer. I mean, I'm just, I'm old enough to remember, uh, growing up. I mean, if I needed to, um, if I needed to make a deposit and this is actually not that long ago, you'd have deposit a check. Someone gave, say I got a check for my birthday, which really doesn't happen anymore. That's how old I am. <laughs> you kind of <laughs> outgrow that stage in your life. But if I got get a check for, for sometimes for one thing or another, well, of course, then you'd endorse it and then you drive by the bank and then you'd deposit it either by going into the branch if it was open or, you you know, dropping it through a, a slot and then waiting for them to process it. Well, now you just take a picture of it, right? And so that's a huge time. So I had, to the extent that I, I have access to time-saving, labor-saving technology, it gives me an advantage over those that don't, at least in a, in a narrow sense. Yeah, I mean, when you're talking about the when you're talking about the ethics around technology, you know that that idea of justice of of um, you know how is this altering the the, the just balance between people? Yeah, that that's a question that that kind of looms there mm-hmm. in the background as well, definitely. Well, and are there basic? I think a new question for us is, um, are there are there basic? Uh, items of technology that everyone ought to have. So a century ago plus, there was the effort to make sure every home in America had a telephone, right? And then the effort to make sure every uh, every home had plumbing, every every home had electricity. You know, it seems, you know, are we, and we may be very close, maybe, maybe it's not been mandated, but it would seem that every home has access to uh, now, how you pay for it is a little different, too, with these things. But, like, access to, say, the Internet. Right. You know, a kind of Wi-Fi technology. But also, you got to have some kind of portable communication device, whether it's a it's a cell phone, a smartphone. Um, it seems like that's sort of now – I mean, you're wildly disadvantaged in, in today's setting in America if you don't have access to the Internet and a phone, and a mobile phone of some sort. Right, and there's a good example of how technology has sort of altered our view of who and what humanity is. Um, as you said, you know, you're disadvantaged without certain pieces of technology. Well, mm-hmm. when you look at when you look at humanity from a completely natural standpoint, there's no difference between me and somebody that doesn't have a smartphone. Um, you know, the, we, as a matter of fact, I would probably guess because of the smartphone, the person that never owned one might actually be smarter than I am because mm-hmm. I've, I've, because I've trained myself to have to rely so much on that, on that smartphone. So, you know, the natural ability of somebody, um, certainly isn't altered. And, and if it is, it might be altered in a negative way by, by the technology, but yet without the technology, you know, you're right. You're at a disadvantage and to a certain extent, you're less able to, perform those functions that you're supposed to as a human being. And so you are to a certain extent, uh, you know, less than what you optimally ought to be. Um, or what so, you're able to achieve anyway, yeah, right? I mean, right. you talked about reliance. I think it, you're right. There's a reliance, but the reliance is also related to accomplishment. I'm able to, with with by being adept at um, 
using smartphone and apps, I'm able to accomplish a lot of things. Now, some of it's frivolous. Right. Like, do I really have to text that much? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it all, gets, it all gets back, though, to, to identity to a certain extent. It all gets back to human nature. Um, that, that, you know, these, these technologies very much have begun to alter and, and change human nature oh, um, yeah. in, in some ways that, that, that aren't good. So, so you know, we're, we're kind of coming up on the end of our, our time for a discussion here. So let's, let's change the, the direction of this a little bit. As Catholics, what are we called to do to start to kind of push back against some of the, the, the technological challenges that, that we're facing? Well, I think uh, step, step one is to equip oneself with the moral teaching and principles of Holy Mother Church. Those are made uh, readily accessible through the Catechism of the Catholic Church, but there's lots of great Catholic authors that have all have written all kinds of articles um, and books and online materials to simplify. Because the Catechism can can be a little bit intimidating. But um, but it's the catechism is more like an encyclopedia, right? You look up different sections. You don't really need to read it cover to cover um, in one sitting. It's kind of like the, it's kind of like Holy Scripture. So I would say that that's where to begin because if you if you form your conscience with the and align your conscience with the teach the moral principles and teachings of Holy Mother Church, then you're. Um, less likely to fall into the trap of emotivism like you were talking about earlier. Right. So you can feel your feelings, but you don't want your feelings to, to, to overrule your reason or your intellect. And if you really inter- and what will happen over time is you should be able to integrate your intellect and your feelings so that you, uh, when you see, say, an injustice, you recognize the injustice on principle, and then you have feelings of righteous anger over the injustice. So you have both going on, but you're not overwhelmed one to the other. Right. I, I think also prayer comes in particularly because, Absolutely. because what we've lost is a, what we've lost is a sense of purpose and purposefulness. Um, and so through prayer, we reconnect to that ultimate purpose. We reconnect ourselves to God. And from there, then the insights is as far as the proper purposes of the things, the objects, the technology that we're surrounded with in our world, they start to flow from that. So by, by spending more time in prayer, by spending more time in meditating, we, we wind up seeing the purpose of things in, an, in, a, in a more divine light and less in a, a light where we're caught up in the everyday attempts to maintain the technology, to keep things going, to, mm-hmm. to, to do the next thing, to do the next task. Prayer allows us to step away, realize our own purpose, and that helps us realize the purpose of the world around us. And with that, we need to wrap up this edition of the Catholic Cave. I just want to make one final statement here in the fact that we are not against plastic trees. Plastic trees have their place, especially when they're covered in garland and have a star on the top of them, and they're put in your living room for Christmas. Beyond that, don't know if I want one in my yard. But for for Mark Tottle, for Timothy O'Donnell, I'm Kent Blanford. Until next time, be holy. The Catholic Cave is a production of Catholic Radio Indy. Replays of this program are available in podcast form at catholicradioindy.org. Comments about this program can be addressed to Kent at catholicradioindy.org or by calling 317-870-8400. 
Did you miss something in this show or just want to hear it again? Podcasts of this and all our other great local programs are available 24-7 at catholicradioindy.org.